I just walk in like totally helpless and then uh, and they put in the needle right away and I was like so wh what's gonna uh, happen now and I basically passed out immediately it was coming through on our phones I was like okay they can't do that right. that can't be right and I wasn't expecting that there would be such a clear yes vote people were in shock murder manslaughter other crimes against life and prominently amongst them the crime of abortion abortion should be a part of of healthcare and should not be treated as a crime first and foremost I'm Abby Darcy and welcome to the second in the new series of the Gender Politics podcast from the Heinrich Böll Foundation our voices our choices this one is about our bodies about a woman's uterus to be precise and the reach of the state, because states often overtly politicise women's bodies. Brazil, the US and China are examples of how governments have recently targeted women's reproductive rights. So how did Ireland successfully push for change? Why is Germany putting gynaecologists in the dock? And will Malawi drag its abortion laws out of the 1800s? The Gender Politics Podcast from the Heinrich Böll Foundation. This series hands the microphone to people whose voices often go unheard or are censored, whose choices don't conform to laws or customs and are disregarded or denied. It's about people fighting to simply exercise their basic human rights and about the myriad ways communities worldwide are going about it. We discover how women are securing their rights through diverse political protest. We unpick the politics of women's reproductive rights and witness the trials of LGBT communities struggling to get their rights recognised. First stop in this podcast is Ireland, a country which opened up the abortion debate to listen to its people. When I was on the flight back to Dublin as well, I wasn't like looking forward to it. I was just like emotionally and spiritually and physically drained. You could see all these horrible, like graphic, like ridiculous posters um, on the way down and I just remember being so sleep deprived and like paranoid and tense. For decades, thousands of Irish women made the trip overseas to get an abortion. It was punishable with life imprisonment at home. In May 2018, Sonia Rohan was part of the extraordinary home to vote phenomenon, one of the thousands who travelled the other way across the globe to get back to Ireland to repeal the 8th. <laughs> That amendment had kept a near-blanket ban on abortion, even in cases of rape, incest or fetal abnormality. On the day of the vote, thousands protested outside Dublin Castle. I just wanted to go and vote. I was so nervous because I was like, OK, you need to do the X, do the X, and it's going over and over compulsively in my head. It's like, OK, don't spoil your vote, don't tick the wrong box. It was coming through on our phones. I was like, okay, they can't do that right. That can't be right. And I wasn't expecting that there would be such a clear yes vote. No, um, most people didn't, and people were in shock. Dervla O'Malley has been campaigning for abortion rights since she was a teenager. She says it was the death of Savita Halappanavar in 2016 which really made Ireland sit up. Savita was denied an abortion as she began to miscarry and later died of blood poisoning. O'Malley says that was when the conversation really took off, and it hasn't stopped. Women are talking about it now, and they weren't just a few years ago. I couldn't have imagined it, you know. There was just so much shame, and it was so, such a, a tabooized 
Subject. Since January 2019, women are now able to access abortion in Ireland up to 12 weeks into their pregnancy. But the work isn't done. O'Malley says this new status quo in the Republic can't be taken for granted. After all, abortion is still banned in Northern Ireland. There's a saying, what rights aren't given, they're taken away, especially with abortion rights in Ireland. I mean, people can't just say, oh, it's all fine now. You already see a fight back happening. Already some protesters have started protesting outside family doctors. They've been protesting outside the hospitals. Maybe one of the last problems in Ireland is that most schools are still controlled by churches and that needs to end. This needs to be taught in schools and sex education class. They need to learn about abortion. I think in Ireland, for instance, it's not a coincidence that there was such a decisive movement possible at the time when women in their masses came out to speak about their experiences and others came out to stand in solidarity with them. Stephanie Schlitt is a consultant for the World Health Organization. When you have that sort of focus on women's actual experiences with um, abortion service provision, and when women who do come out and speak feel like their experiences are being validated, when there's a systemic analysis that this isn't just about each individual woman coping with a difficult situation in our life, but this is about us as a society. And you realize that this concerns all of us. There is no us against them. There is no bad woman versus the good woman. Argentina also saw vibrant protests in 2018 and strong public opinion behind the liberalization of the strict 1921 abortion law. But they couldn't budge the Senate. In Argentina, even in the rare cases where women are granted a choice, the state seems to often deny them their decision. That's Gustavo Vigliocco, the health minister from Tucumán in northern Argentina. In February 2019, he was on Radio Convos, a Buenos Aires radio station talking to the programme Pasaron Cosas. It was about Lucia, a young girl in the early stages of pregnancy whose story gripped the nation and beyond. Vigliocco says he's spoken to Lucia and she wants to keep her baby. But Lucia is 11 years old and her pregnancy, the result of rape. Laws on abortion are strict in Argentina, but in cases of rape or where the woman's health is at risk, then the mother has a right to an abortion. En la mayor parte de la Argentina no se cumple con ninguna causal de aborto legal. In most regions of Argentina, the law isn't put into practice even when the woman has a right to abortion. Ana Correa is an activist and a founder of Ni Una Menos, Not One Woman Less, a feminist movement across Latin America campaigning against gender violence. Se cometieron muchas irregularidades. Si se hubiera seguido, si se hubiera obrado de acuerdo a la ley... There were a lot of irregularities. If they'd followed the law, the abortion could have been done at the right time. It would have spared the girl a lot of pain and agony. Lucia had the right to an abortion, but as often happens, the health ministry and the courts deliberately delayed the process for so long that in the end Lucia had to have a caesarean. That was really risky for her and the baby. El embarazo avanzara, con lo cual se puso en riesgo la vida de la niña y... El feto. Tucumán has a record of violating women's reproductive rights. Belén, another young woman from the province, was charged with murder for inducing an abortion, when in fact she'd miscarried her baby. Amnesty International and the UN made pleas on her behalf, and she was finally released. 
In 2018, a million Argentinians took to the streets whilst the lower house held a marathon 24-hour debate and finally voted in favour of legalising abortion up to 14 weeks. But the Senate struck it down. Activists held vigil outside. Some dressed in the iconic red cloaks and white bonnets from Margaret Atwood's Handmaid's Tale, a story about how the state requisitions women's bodies. Despite some of the strictest laws, Latin America has some of the highest rates of abortion worldwide. Up to half a million women are believed to have often underground abortions every year in Argentina. Tens of thousands of them end up in hospital. Around 100 women die per year. Eh, el tema que el aborto sea ilegal eh, es una deuda de la democracia. The fact that abortion is still illegal in Argentina is a debt that democracy owes us. Argentina became a democracy again in 1983, but women's rights haven't caught up. That's why we continue to speak out, because criminalization means that girls are tortured, women have to go into hiding or are killed. As long as abortion is illegal in Argentina, the country is more of a medieval state than a modern, developed one. You'll find abortion in the chapter of crimes against life. So you'll have there murder, manslaughter, other crimes against life, and prominently amongst them, the crime of abortion. Abortion should be a part of, of health care and should not be treated as a crime first and foremost. Stephanie Schlitt from the WHO again. That is often the first port of call for the legal regulation of abortion, setting out that it is a crime. And that alone, I think, should make us reflect on why it is that this particular part of health care, so one of the or if not the most frequent gynecological intervention that women of reproductive age need and seek, why it gets regulated by the most restrictive or powerful tool that the state has at its disposal. It still felt like a very secretive thing. Like I had to go into this practice on a Saturday where like everything else is closed and then they send you to this clinic and all these women one after the other gets the procedure and the one you were sitting in the waiting room beforehand uh, uh, the, on that secret Saturday. And it's like, it feels like something illegal almost. Abortion technically is illegal in Germany. But as for Aisha France in Berlin, it's decriminalized if you have it done within the first 12 weeks. I had my sweater, I mean, it was winter, I had my sweater on, but no underwear, just like walking in. And they have me sit down and I'm like, so what's going to go? And they put the, in the needle right away for the full narcosis. And I was like, so, so what's going to happen now? And I basically passed out immediately. I didn't, they didn't have the time. I would have wished to know what exactly is going to go. You know, how does it all happen? I've never had a surgery in my life. Information about abortion in Germany isn't easy to find. Currently, a law prohibits doctors from advertising abortion services or giving information about the services. Three gynaecologists who did just that now find themselves in court. Yet to get an abortion, a woman needs to arrange up to five different appointments in a relatively short space of time, including a session of counselling. After this session, women are required to then wait four days before the procedure can take place to give them time to consider their decision. It's horrendous that we are not considered capable of making a choice by ourselves. That is what the government is telling us. So it felt it felt very patronizing all in all. There are quite a number of barriers put in women's way 
which when we look at them closely, may be argued for as helping women, but do they really? Stephanie Schlitt again. We know that the earlier you have an abortion in the pregnancy, the safer it is, and any delay can only be a bad idea. Needless to say, for some women, it may really help them to have a bit more time and to, to reflect again. But what these policies really say is, we're not sure we can trust you to make this decision. If we start from the point of view that women have reproductive self-determination, they are the ones who should be making the decisions about their reproductive lives and the course of those lives, then when that decision is denied them, when, when they're compelled to continue a pregnancy that they don't wish to continue, this clearly also has an impact on their psychological health. The little decision-making power Malawian women had has been virtually wiped out, abortions pushed firmly underground and whole facilities for reproductive health shut down. This because of the global gag rule from the US. Early 2017, his foot barely in the door of the White House, Donald Trump gathered his male advisers around him to put his signature to one of his first executive orders, stopping around $8 billion of US funding to any international NGO which performs abortions or informs about them. Uniting, standing together with her so she can make the decisions only she should The very next day, the She Decides movement was born. It started as a pledging conference to try and stuff the funding gap, but grew into a much bigger movement, campaigning for women's rights in local communities. Because the fact that the gag rule happened, it's really put people in a place of desperation of saying, we no longer can lose any other women and girls because of this funding cut, because of seeing health facilities closing down because of the funding cut. Obviously, we would definitely have a high rise on maternal mortality rates because of that. And that has really caused people to want to speak out more and take a stand and take action on these issues. Tikala Itaye is the chair of the She Decides movement and based in Malawi. Across Africa, three out of four abortions are considered unsafe by the World Health Organization. And the risk of dying due to abortion is highest here. Malawi has strict laws on abortion, yet it's still common and complications are the cause of up to 18% of maternal deaths. She decides is doing vital grassroots work here. You know, you find that women in rural communities, most of them don't even know such rights exist to say, this is my body and I need these services, I need to demand such services. Because in most of our rural communities, they're led by what we call traditional authorities. And because most of them are not aware of their rights as women, especially when it comes to their rights to their body or body autonomy, so, yeah, there's a huge implication on the class issue. She decides help develop what's been called a groundbreaking sexual and reproductive health and rights strategy, which was signed by 16 health ministers from the region. A national debate is currently underway to liberalise Malawi's abortion law, which dates back to 1861. Progress is slow, but the conversation does appear to be shifting. You can see civil society organisations and networks in Malawi really amplify their voices on these issues louder than they did before. We saw that the abortion bill in Malawi, there have been little different dialogues happening with different actors. This past week, we've seen that the abortion bill got a nod from religious leaders. Religion doesn't sit in judgment over abortion in China. Here, there's little emphasis on the prenatal right to life. Yet women have few reproductive rights. 
their decisions are rigidly monitored and family planning is tightly tied to the fate of the country's economy. To put it frankly, one commentator wrote, in 2018 in the People's Daily, the official newspaper of China's Communist Party, giving birth, he wrote, is not only a family matter, but also a national issue. Politicians shouldn't rely on the people's conscience for population growth, but it should be a matter of policy. It's a matter of opinion, but of course the state will make policy to regulate women's uh, reproductive choices. Audrey Lee is an author and journalist based in China. So I think it's all about economic growth because China's economic growth is slowing down. We are going through this ongoing trade war with the United States. I think China right now needs more workforce if we want to sustain this economic growth like the past three or four decades, we need more people. When the state didn't need too many babies, you were not allowed to give birth to more than one. But when the state does need more babies, you might find the stay-on media lecturing how amazing to be a mom, to, to be a good wife or whatever. But it may be more than just lecturing. For nearly four decades, China had a one-child policy and subjected women to forced abortions if they got pregnant a second time. Selective abortion was also commonplace, since couples wanted their one child to be a boy. In 2016, China then introduced a two-child policy, but fewer babies were born than expected. Now, several local authorities are said to require the approval of three doctors before a woman can get an abortion. Officially, this is to prevent selective abortion. Other commentators suggest the state is attempting to restrict abortion in general. According to Audrey, it's the generation of women born into the one-child policy like her who want sovereignty back over their bodies. So in my opinion, and some educated women, also those women in the rural areas, they are starting to have a new idea that we think we are entitled to our own wills and rights, including getting married or not, getting divorced or not, having as many children as we want or none. In China, single women over a certain age could be called leftovers, but now more and more women want to choose whatever lifestyles that we are comfortable with. So I think the state should get away of people's bedrooms. Women across the world, from Argentina to Malawi, from Germany to China, are demanding more autonomy, that states depoliticize women's bodies, open up the debate and find progressive solutions which offer protection for prenatal life and for a woman's right to self-determination. I do hope you enjoyed this podcast. In the next one, I'll talk to global LGBT communities to hear how they're fighting to secure their basic human rights. And if you missed the first podcast about the power of female protest, do listen into that. You can find the series and many more on iTunes, Spotify or SoundCloud. Plus, there's more background on the issues you've heard here and much more about the work of the Heinrich Böll Foundation at böll.de. I'm Abby Darcy and the producer was Marlena Melchior. Thanks for listening. <laughs>